This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 698. This week, we welcome longtime friend of the show, Carl Grimes from Hayward School for a discussion on defining health, including people in assessments and the IICRC S520 revisions so far anyway. It's in uh, review right now, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through things here. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget about afterthoughts.iaqradio.com to continue the discussion after the show Sponsored by First On Site Property Restoration. IAQ Radio Plus Marquee Sponsor is First On Site Property Restoration at firstonsite.com. IAQ Radio Association Sponsors are ACGIH, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at acgih.org. AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org. IICRC, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at IICRC.org. The Restoration Industry Association, RIA, at RestorationIndustry.org. The Environmental Information Association, EIA, at EIA-USA.org. IAQ Radio Industry Sponsors are AEML Laboratories at AEMLINC.com, Particles Plus at ParticlesPlus.com, TSI Inc. at TSI.com, Tramex Meters at TramexMeters.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental in Kettering, Ohio, Doug was first to identify NIFR, NIFR, National Institute of Fire Restoration, as the original division of the organization now known as the Restoration Industry Association, which dealt with fire and smoke-related damages beginning in the 1970s. Congratulations to him. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, April 28, 2023, has been sponsored by TSI, Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IAQ radio trivia question. Name the medieval Latin word defined as fix attacks upon. Back to you, Joe. All right, so today we've got Hayward Scores Healthy Home Director, Carl Grimes. He has a unique combination of experiences, both personal experience of how an unhealthy home created his disabling impact, plus professional experience in various industries working in the indoor air quality field. Carl's worked with every industry-related organization you ever heard of and many you may not have heard about. Carl, welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's great to see you again. Hey, thank you, Joe and Cliff. It's great to be back again. It has been a while. 
There, there are times when I read through all the groups you're working with, Carl, and I, I wonder, wow, how do you even find some of these groups? The A lot of the medical groups I'm, I'm kind of surprised by. Uh, they find me, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, There's a few that I find out about or something that I join or get involved in, but a lot of them, uh, they find me. And um, In fact, the one most infamous finding of me was about six years ago. Uh, they found me and uh, ended up with a lawsuit. So what can I say? Wow. And now you, we talked a little last night. You're headed over to Europe, I think, for a, a conference not long from now. We're thinking about it, I guess. Who's What's that group? Well, it's, uh, it's the ISEAC, International Society of Indoor oh. Air Quality and Climate. The Healthy Buildings is every other year, and they have it in two two versions of it, uh, two different regions. Uh, this year, it's in China in uh, July, I, July or August, I think. I, I don't remember for sure because I'm not going to go to China with the political situation. But the other one is in June in uh, Germany. Oh, you don't want to become a political prisoner, Carl? Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to keep my mouth shut. So, yeah, it'd be kind of risky, I think. <laughs> Carl, we were talking also, and, and I think we wanted to – well, let's start out a little with, with Hayward score. I mean, it's been so long. I don't. I didn't look to see what the last show was. Maybe John can check that out. But I think it was before we started YouTube, so it's got to be six years ago anyway. Um, give us a little update on what's going on with Hayward score, if you would. Well, we have um... – for five years, we had uh, we actively sought people to participate in our online survey, Hayward Score, which is a set of fifty basic questions with other detailed nested questions that go with it about how occupants perceive their their house, their home, and it has three categories of questions in there. One is about the structure itself. The other is how they use that structure. Uh, it includes uh, kind of their habits, their behaviors uh, within the within the house. And the third then was their perception of uh, of any complaints or symptoms that they have associated with the house. We've got we received over ninety thousand um, responses to it. Wow! And we haven't actively sought um, participation in the last. I guess about uh, three, about three three years now. We ninety thousand is a lot to handle. It's almost too much to to deal with to to analyze, uh, and but also because we have three different categories that we're trying to combine. One is a physical structure. The other is how you use it, and the other one is how it affects the the, the occupant. And it's sub- subjective. It's anecdotal. So who's going to accept it as science when it's, I'm telling you whether I've got a forced air furnace or not. But it's really interesting information because on that subject, we also asked them, uh, uh, where is it located? Because it makes a difference whether it's in the attic or the basement, a crawl space or a closet in the, uh, uh, in, you know, in the living area. And a significant number of them early on were saying, I don't know where it is. Well, that's important information because that yes, means it that is. They, 
<laughs> yeah, they aren't fill they aren't changing the filter. Or they may not even have a filter in the forest air system. So and then after looking at all that, our statistician uh David Katari uh went in and did some uh analysis. Uh there's a group at UC uh, uh at uh UCLA that uh did an analysis. Uh they look at it a particular way. And they've they found that from a statistical point of view, that the lack of maintenance is the number one factor associated with a higher number of uh, reported symptoms in a house. Uh, that that is not at all shocking for those of us that deal with these situations on a daily basis. Yeah, and uh, some follow up studies that we did with it was. Uh, did you do what we suggested in the action plans? It was a small, much smaller sample. It was still statistically validated, several thousand uh, responses on that. And the ones that did do something, you know, to improve or to follow our recommendations reported a reduction of symptoms. The other key finding in there, there were two, uh, two that I'll mention. One is that about... I think it was over just around 64, 65% of the respondents said that they felt better when they left the house, only they feel not well again when they came back in the house. Now, think about that. Two thirds of people that responded, you know, even accounting for some bias, indicate that the house is affecting them negatively. Hmm. The other finding that we've, uh, that uh, David, our data scientist, uh, Found. I got to give him full credit for it. And we we actually published a peer-reviewed article in the Siri magazine, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, was the association of dust with reported health symptoms. Now we didn't focus on dust. This was a, we started this in 2016, 2014, 2015, we were developing questions and so forth. We weren't focused on dust. We only had a couple questions in there, and one was. Do you see a lot too much dust in the house? And do you see it in the, on the windowsills? You know, uh, and when he did it, three different linear regression analysis, dust popped out as in the top three of associations with an increase in symptoms. Um, so it's like, wow, now that's something that it's not like it's bias on our part that we're looking for it. And we designed it that way. We would didn't even think about it, but when we looked at the data, and with three different ways, three different statistical methods that popped out. So there's there's a lot of information that's buried in there. If somebody is interested or curious, uh, we've got the database. What's your question? You know, talk, contact me, and uh, we'll talk about. How, what you want to do with it, how you might want to do it, and um, uh, set up arrangements, uh, you know, that way. The uh, the other is we're now actively working on a, what's called a mini score instead of 50 questions and a couple hundred subsets. It's eight to 15 questions somewhere in there. We still have statistical associations with it so that people can go in like out in the field on an on-site inspection and have the people do the mini score and then you've got something to look at where you and the occupant both are looking at the same information at the same time 
And even without knowing a whole lot about indoor air quality and the fine tuning and the formulas and all the ins and outs and subtleties and everything, you say, going back to my first example. Okay, so you, you've got a forced air system. And uh, do you know where it is? No. Okay, well, we'll find that. We need to take a look at that. Whether you're a carpet cleaner or an HVAC person or a mold inspector, some key fundamental things like that could be important. So we'll in the process of developing that. Yeah, it sounds like something that almost anyone that's going out to do an assessment of a home would want to maybe send in advance to help them kind of get them. Just like the ASTM standard for doing an indoor air quality assessment, they have, you know, the questionnaire that goes out prior to going to the home. This sounds like something that could work well with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good idea. That's a, a, a good way uh, uh, to use that. And then they can do a before and after. Okay. Which is important. I'll get into the importance of that sort of evaluation in a little bit. Uh, um, so, it's 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 something that uh well the, i was just thinking back to one of the one of the main feedback points that we got from people was i didn't know there was this much about a house i learned a lot so even if we don't get a benefit or anything else people that are taking it uh, a significant number of them are saying oh i didn't realize that that's important I'll take a look at it. And Cliff, I'm going to bring you into this. Back uh, when we first started uh, releasing some of this, probably in 2016 or 17, we were at Joe's con- your conference, Joe. Yeah, yeah. You know, And uh, I took a group out to dinner, and I said, you don't get dinner until you go through the Hayward score, so you can get some feedback so I can see what's going on. And Cliff, you especially, and also Kevin Kennedy, I was – I was shocked by your response. It was like, I've got a better house than that. I know what <laughs> I'm doing. Why do I only have 60? Well, the median is only 53. So you've got a better than average house. Well, it would be even be better if my wife wouldn't insist on leaving the windows open all year round. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's might right. be a little cheaper too, huh? Yeah, well, that's a water issue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly well carl let's let's move on to this whole definition of health thing that we we put in the title of today's show and i we've got a link up to damp buildings human health and hvac design an ashray document just fill our, our listeners in a little on your background in sure. trying to get people to define what health is and and why you think that was important well, that I put, I put the link in for that document because, um, first of all, it's free. People can go to that link and download it for free. It's about 30 pages. Uh, it's not highly technical. Okay, so a lot of people can understand it. And there's the title page up on the screen. And the other is, it's the first document in ASHRAE that has health in the title or includes health. And that's a, I've got to come at this from uh, two or three different directions. Uh, back in the older days of ASHRAE, at some point or other, there was a discussion, probably uh, 
with uh, Bill Bonfilis' dad when he was president back in the 70s, I think it was. He tried to get health involved or included into ASHRAE and didn't succeed. Bill was president about, I guess, about uh, four or five years ago now, as before the pandemic. And he tried to do it with not a lot of success. But then about four years ago, uh, just before the pandemic, they came out with the five-year strategic plan that included health. They actually used the word health several times. I've since found out that there was actually a board directive back sometime in the, I don't know, 50s, 60s, or maybe 30s, 40s, I'm not really sure when it was, that prohibited the use of the word health. In fact, Mm -hmm. when I was writing for Indoor Environmental Connections, you know, the one that Glenn Fellman had, uh, IAQA and so forth, the very first column I wrote was on ASHRAE and the word health. I saw a notice that there was a decision not to include the word health. And I wrote my naive opinion column of how come ASHRAE doesn't use the word health? Why did they reject it? And I got a, a very immediate and strongly worded response back from someone at ASHRAE that said, we didn't exclude health. We've never included health. Carl Grimes is wrong. <laughs> so wait, and I wait. thought, Wow, they so didn't now this exclude is full it. circle after 25 years? Wow. And and now we have the first document that you know of the first uh what is this a guideline? Uh yeah. It's a it yeah. It it's was from a uh MTG, a multi uh disciplinary task uh group. Okay. Uh, so it's not a standard like most everything else is in the in in ASHRAE, but it 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 is a it is a and it's not as strong as a position document. Uh, I'm kind of bouncing around here because there's like four different things to to say about this. The um, well, let let me back up. the The word health. Uh, I was in uh, one of the ISIAC Healthy Buildings conferences or NDRR conferences in Europe. Uh, back again, VP uh, before pandemic. And I was talking with a group of friends of mine. And I said, what's the definition of health? And they said, I don't know. I don't think there is one. Well, I think WHO has one. So I was on the committee uh, called SGPC-10. This is rather cumbersome because it, uh, uh, it should be like 66 Point two or something, but it's SGPC-10. And the title of it, thanks to our dear departed friend, Hal Levin, who started this committee back in the first version of it was 2011, is called Interactions Affecting the Achievement of Acceptable Indoor Environments. Okay. And another friend, Bob Baker, uh, who I came to know very well, when ASHRAE was in Denver years ago, he said that was the first ASHRAE meeting I attended. And I did it only because it was in Denver. And Bob took me by the arm and took me into the bookstore. And he bought this document, Interactions Affecting the Achievement of Acceptable Indoor Environments. He said, that's what you do. You need to know about this. 
So I took it and I went up to a committee meeting that it was called Environmental Health Committee. That sounded like I might be interested in it. I go in, it's a room full of people. I sat down with uh, Charlene Bayer, who I already knew. And she said, what are you reading? And I told her and she said, is it any good? And I said, yeah, it's really good. But of all the, of all the interactions that affect indoor environment or health, uh, it doesn't include moisture. Hmm. And this voice next to me on the other side says, well, then you need to join the, our committee. <laughs> it was Mark Jackson, who was vice chair of the committee. So he got me involved and he says, go through and take a look. I got through two pages of 37 uh, instances of the word health. And so I went looking for the definition and there's no definition. Huh. So uh, to make a long story short, we started revising the document. It hadn't been revised since 2016. So my committee started working on that a couple of years ago. We went through it, updated um, the the references and some language. We made a couple of changes and we addressed the word health. Now, I that committee that I formed in that SGPC-10, an international committee, uh, with initial responses, we had two forums at ASHRAE conferences. One, the very first one we had, I think it was 53 people attended. And um, what we found is that WHO is the only one that has a definition of the word health for 1948 or charter. Uh, and it's basically the the lack of any disease or uh uh, disability or anything like that. So it was a lack of the ill health. Well, it's still widely mentioned and referred to, but it's active and uh, agreed upon by consensus only. Nobody's using it because it, you can't operationalize it. There's nothing in there that you that you can measure anything. So my committee started looking at it, and we actually. Um, Mark Jackson and I and uh, Fred Marks at uh, Scripps Institute, uh, we wrote a paper that was accepted at the ASHRAE Indoor Air Quality uh, Conference. It was supposed to be 2020. It was delayed by the pandemic. It actually happened in 2021. Uh, yeah, 2021, uh, virtually in Athens, Georgia, uh, Athens, Georgia, yeah, <laughs> the country, Athens, and so we presented it there and jumping ahead now, what we did was kind of created a placeholder for health in this, in this guideline document because health is complex. And some of the initial responses we got, it's too complex to define. There's too much, too many points of view, et cetera. And that's true. However, what we did as far as a description of health was to cite the 1948 WHO definition as expanded by interactions affecting the achievement of acceptable indoor environments. So we use the title of the committee and the title of the document as our description of health, because so the it's not medical, and and it's not the psychiatry and the sociology of it. It's related to the indoor environment. So it's it fits with 
what we're talking about with the indoor environment, the built environment and, and the occupants. So, well, now that was just uh, reviewed, went through a rigorous review. We had to change some things, et cetera. We got it through and at the, uh, at the uh, uh, Atlanta meeting last, this past June, was it? No, in January, the Atlanta meeting this past January, we got word that it's been approved. It's in the docket to be published. It's now published up online. There is a cost for it. You can search for it on the ASHRAE book, but I didn't put the link up there because there is a, a cost for it. Unlike well, that's other. all right. We'll so, put it up there anyway. What's it called again? Interactions. I think I put that in the chat. Interactions affecting the achievement of acceptable indoor environments. There we go. Uh, last episode. Where, where, do, 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 do. To, a better way to think of it, because the wording is cumbersome, is how do you get an acceptable indoor environment? Well, there are inter interactions that affect that. So there's some fundamental ones like light, sound, indoor air quality. There, ASHRAE guideline 10. Good job. Interactions of $71. And there's a definition of health within here? Yes, the one that I cited. Moving ahead now, uh, as chair of that committee, and then um, uh, Nick Clements, who is on the who's the chair of the Environmental Health Committee, okay. Uh, they, as a as a result of, or at least after our forum at Ashray in Atlanta, like four or five years ago, uh, Lan Chi, who Weeks, who Don Weeks is familiar with, may know her. <laughs> Uh, yeah. She went to the uh, Environmental Health Committee and uh, did a, a multidisciplinary task group um, uh, research and made some recommendations there. And Environmental Health Committee said, we need to come up with some sort of document now, a guideline. So Nick Clements is the chair of EHC. He's also on my committee, the SGPC-10. So uh, we did a co-sponsorship, if you will, the two committees working together. And uh, Charlene Bayer is the chair of that. And we took that to ASHRAE and said, we would like to write a position document on health and well-being of the built environment. And two weeks ago, we got official approval for that. Right. So we have a committee, we have one year to work on it, and it's not going to be uh, health is, you know, four or five words or whatever it is. I think the direction it's going to be is that health is a indicator word that refers you to several indices of health several different facets of health, several different ways of looking at it. It's the built environment. It's medical. It's sociological. It's political. It's everything having to do with life on this earth and what is supportive of that life and what isn't. So it is complex, but I think that's the direction it's going to go. But we've got a really, really good diverse committee 
uh, and we're going to see what we can accomplish by this time next year. It's and, and then I see that uh, Don commented. I think Carl's been a great influence on these committees, among others on the committee. So you're you're trying to get that incorporated into the ASHRAE. I guess lexicon uh, defined a little better within the ASHRAE lexicon. Yes. And while I said I've misspoke just a little bit intentionally when I said this, that uh, that building's human health and HVAC design was the first document that way. Actually, when you look at uh, I'm a, I'm on the, another committee damp manage uh, managing damp buildings and as TC one twelve is the, actual technical name of it. And we were looking at uh, the fundamentals chapter of the handbook. It came up for review and revision. Each one comes up every year. There's one on that you work on. It takes three, four years to get it revised and through there. And I was asked uh, about health in that document. And I got to looking at it finally after all these years. Health appears in just about every chapter of every book of the handbook. So health is in there and it's been in there for decades, but nobody defines it. They all skip over it. And I guess the way I would describe the perception is uh, Fred Marks, my co-author on the paper that we presented at IAQ uh, 2022, was he went out to people he knows in the uh, health and uh, safety part of the industry of the country. He worked with them for decades and he went back to some of several of them and said, you know, you got health and safety. And when I look at the documents, you got safety really defined and described. You got rules, you got regulations, but health is just a word. There's nothing in there about health. Why is that? I said, well, when we started it, it was health, uh, health, health and safety, and we were focused on safety, but health sounded pretty good, so we stuck it in there. <laughs> so th- this is something that the ones that know me fairly well, when I find something like that that just doesn't make sense, I tend to get obsessed with it. And so it's like, why isn't it? Everybody talks about health. I've got a book in my bookcase behind me here on climate change and health. And health is in there at least once on almost every page. Of, I think it's like almost 600 pages in that book. There's no definition, no description of health. The only book I've seen that comes that even gets close to that uh, is uh, Healthy Buildings. Uh, and I, the, the name, a senior moment on the name, the guy that wrote the book Healthy Buildings from Harvard. Oh, Joe Allen? Yeah, Joe Allen. Okay. He talks about it, and he actually references Antonovsky, who has a scale of between, it's not health isn't binary, health yes, health no, sickness or health. It's a range from <clears throat> you know, it's a very serious illness to exceptional health, if you will, if you will. And where is that person on that scale? And what are the influences that can move them toward the health end or toward the not health end? And that fits really well with the title of this guideline of the interactions that affect 
acceptable indoor environments. It's not a specific point. It's somewhere within a range and includes a lot of different interactions. All right. Let's go to halftime. When we come back, we're going to go into uh, assessments, people in assessments, and a presentation Carl did at IAQA this past year. All right. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site, your trusted, full-service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. Association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, The Environmental Information Association, EIA's Multidisciplinary Membership, collects, generates, and disseminates information concerning environmental and occupational health hazards in the built environment at eia-usa.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, iicrc.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the oldest and largest nonprofit professional trade association dedicated to providing leadership and promoting best practices through advocacy, standards, and professional qualifications for the restoration industry at restorationindustry.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us, ParticlesPlus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, TSI.com. Tramex Meters, developing modern dynamic moisture meters and humidity monitoring systems since 1974. TramexMeters.com and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, HealthyIndoors.com. Hey, Carl, I got a real quick chat question here on, on the health topic, um, and that is the level of humidity. He works in the art preservation area, a certain level of humidity will also provide a level of health. Do you agree that this must be addressed in this conversation? Absolutely. I thought so. And I, I also see Tom Martin's comment and he's our, Tom's our advocate for the people with asthma and, uh, you know, serious uh, asthma issues. And um, he agrees as well. I know he's very adamant about having the proper level of humidity. All right, let's go. Wait, to- wait, 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 okay. Okay. As far as Ponder and other people go, we've had several shows where this was discussed in depth. We had people who advocated adding moisture, particularly during COVID, particularly during the winter and flu seasons and so on and so forth. People that were advocating, uh, you know, raising the humidity, controlling it, but, but raising it. And then we probably had more people on the other side, you know, who were concerned about raising it too much. But we can probably put together uh, some names if you want to go back and kind of listen to uh, both sides of it. But there's some past shows where that was the only topic that that was discussed was that. 
Thanks, Joe. Good point, Cliff. Good point. Carl, well, let's go. It's a really critical, it's a really critical point. And there is, uh, it is, I would say, I, I'll use the word controversial, but not, I say there's disagreement. And the main reason that there's disagreement is because it's like some of the articles that I wrote for Health, Healthy Indoors magazine, Bob Krause publicate, one of your sponsors. Yes. Um, you have to, you have to also look at the context so if you're looking at like a hospital or a certain indoor environments versus outdoor environments, it makes a difference because um, a claim that if you're below 30%, particularly 20% in the teens or lower, you're going to get sick more often. Well, I live in Denver, Colorado, where in the summertime, I'm lucky to get above 10%, but we don't have any more illness than anybody else does. But if you have a house or a building with forced air, with the heat that artificially, in quotes, decreases that relative humidity, even though the moisture content, the absolute or the mass stays the same, then you have a different set of dynamics. And for that, I'd refer people to the psychrometric chart. And if you can understand that in 30 minutes, (laughs) let <laughs> alone 30 seconds um you know congratulations there's a lot to deal with it and uh getting let me just jump ahead to the question that you that you were asking me about my presentation the preface to that presentation i did and actually i did also a full day workshop on it you know when you're looking at including occupants in buildings now you have um, all the challenges, all the uncertainty, because people react differently to different things in different ways. And it's much more than measuring temperature, humidity, CO2, uh, moisture content, air pressures, building dimensions, mold spores, and all those kinds of things. Those are parameters or factors of a building, not of the person. And it's the person, if there's a problem, which is what most of us get involved in, it's the person that called for help. The building didn't pick up the phone and call for help. Maybe one of these days with a smart building, it will, but now it's still the person. And as soon as we, collective universal we, go into a building, we ignore the person until it comes time to write the check. We measure the building, we measure the environment, we measure all these things and come up somehow with a conclusion that, okay, I'm done, you know, you owe me X dollars and I and I go away. And the person can, not always, because we are pretty good at this, okay? We know a lot, but it's kind of accidental. We aren't doing it deliberately or knowingly. And a number of people not even just the ones that are hypersensitive, hyperallergic, hyperreactive, or anything like that. They're left with, well, okay, but it didn't really answer the question. Okay. So in those cases, and it's not every situation. So there's certain things that are, are kind of important here. And one of them is, what's the problem to begin with? Okay, and then do do the occupants need more than the industry routine, more than what I do on a routine basis? Is there a health issue involved? 
We need a tool for that. And there is one. Okay, I'll get into that in a minute. And then you need to profile the building. That's what we're really good at. But you need to profile the person and and their their relationship to that building. What kinds of things do they react to? How do they know it? And what can we do to reduce that reactivity? And then a method to compare before and after we do something. And then uh, it would help if we had a simple form, and there is one now, uh, an exposure history that they can take to the doctor. The advantage of that is that I don't have to deal with the medical issues. I'm not going to practice medicine, even though they ask me those kind of questions. I can work them through it on their relationship with the building. But then here's a form that you can take to your doctor with that information, whether they know anything about it, whether they can help or not. At least we can say, here's a way that you can get medical help. So that was the there's these five tools, if you will, that I did in, in detail in the workshop and that I presented in the IAQA uh, presentation. And what's the tool that you recommend, Carl? Okay, so it's a series. There's five tools. One of them is to use Hayward score, particularly yeah. the mini score. That's why we're working diligently to, uh, to, to finish that up. That establishes the house-specific situation. What kind of house? Does it have basement, crawl space, attic? You know, how old is it? Is it to have forced air or not? Does it have an HRV, ERV or not? Uh, does it have carpeting? How old is the carpet? Okay. Then that's where the, the on-site person and the customer, this is residential. It can be modified for a commercial, but this is focused specifically on residential. Uh, you can look at the, the results of the mini score and say, okay, You've got this. I can help with that. These other things I can't help with, but you need to go to a particular person, type in the industry, or they have somebody they can specific, they can refer to. But at that point, they know uh, what the situation is, the profiling situation. Now, do we need to do anything different? So Dr. Claudia Miller at the University of Texas, San Antonio, who has the quick environmental exposure sensitivity inventory and a symptom star for that. Uh, she came up with a, uh, a simplified version, three simple questions. Okay. And it's, do you have negative reactions? I'm paraphrasing here to any of these three things, chemicals and fragrances, foods, or the surprise pharmaceuticals. Not just street drugs, but also prescription drugs. <laughs> and what she has found in her research is that people that had the answer yes to any one of those, they they can go into then the full evaluation that the queasy, the quick environmental exposure sensitivity inventory, and those people rank if they answer uh, if they answer yes to one, they know how many what percentage of people. Uh, rank on that on that uh, evaluation form above the threshold they've established statistically of 40. If you answer two, those the majority of those people rank higher than that and the ones that answer yes to all three. So there's a rating system and a range in there. The point is 
do I need to do pay attention to it or not? You can do use the three question of Breezy. It's free from uh, her website, which is uh, Tilt Research, all one word, dot org. You don't need the www. Tilt, T-I-L-T, research, dot org. And uh, all her information there is free, including a PDF of uh, her original book in 19... 97 and then the revised edition more recently the other way if you don't want to do the breezy you can just ask a simple question does anybody in the house have allergies asthma uh, any kind of uh, hypersensitivity or any uh, issues with that and if they say no well you go on if they say yes then i think it would help if you uh might take a look at say okay well you mentioned somebody that's really involved with asthma. If I've got a client that has asthma, I need to pay attention to what I do and what I don't do. I need to know what I need to remove, how I remove it, and then I don't replace it with something else that can create an asthma attack. So if they have certain issues like that, it's important to know that. Now, if you do go in that direction, you need now to profile the need and the diligence required. And this is this tool comes from my book that's out of print now. It was 1999, Starting Points for a Healthy Habitat. The complaint equation, which is just before you can have a complaint, you have to have not only exposure, but a susceptibility. If you aren't susceptible and you've got a cat, who cares? Okay. If you are susceptible to cats and you don't have one, who cares? You don't have a problem. But if you have both, then that's when there can be a problem. So there's a way to profile that. It takes some training, but it's really pretty simple asking an open-ended question. What's it like? It's like, what's it like when you walk down the cleaning products aisle of the grocery store? And the range of answers is, what are you talking about? To, oh, yeah, I notice it. To, well, I have to hold my breath, I I find it, the line of sight, hold my breath, running, grab it, get out. To, I can't go down the products aisle to I can't go in the store to I can't get out of my house. Now, those are three, those are di very different significant levels of concern. And I think it would be important to know of they don't have a problem to, yeah, they have a little bit, but it's not really affecting them to Oh my God, they can't go in certain stores. They can't get out of their house even so severe. So that's something important to know. And the higher, the greater that is, the more diligence you need in addressing the concerns of the house and of the remedy or most important at all. And my friend Danny Greenblatt taught me this way back when, when, when uh, RIA was actually ASCAR. <laughs> He did a presentation on sometimes the most profitable job is the one you turn down. Yeah. And yeah. that's the, or the way you protect yourself too. There's a lot of people out there that are now in my experience that I'm hearing about, they go ahead and do the job anyway and pretend or hope that there's not going to be a problem with the, with the, the occupant. And they've got all the boilerplate language in there to protect them from it. What I'm advocating is, Instead of using the boilerplate language to protect yourself from the occupant, 
why don't you either turn it down or get the tools so that you can actually help them? Bro, I've got a lot of great comments, and we'll put these up on afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, but I, I want to mention one, two actually from Mike McGinnis, um, who's always advocated the four Ps, people, pollutant, pathway, pressurization, people, right. all right? And that's it's kind of got lost over the years, and we need to once in a while go, okay, don't forget to, the four Ps. The other one is he had a question about, or he, he mentioned the NIOSH office health questionnaire, he thinks it's an awesome document. Your thoughts? Yeah, there's what I'm proposing here aren't the only ones. There's others out there that are really good, and that is one. The what I tried to do with uh, in the workshop was put a, put a, a a process together. Whether you use the personal impact rating or the breezy or the queasy or anything else. These five tools are really five things that you have to address. What's the situation? Are there health concerns? How do you profile those? And then uh, how do you compare? People talk about measurements. You can measure before and after. How do you do that? That's with the queasy symptom star chart or some other tool. Um, uh, uh, the uh, Rand Institute, this goes back 30 years ago now, has a, had a process where on you can rank your how functional are you throughout the day? Are you only 10% functional or are you 90% functional? Okay, uh, There's ways to evaluate before and after according to the situation. And then a simple tool, it's up, it's, I believe it's up on the, uh, the Tilt Research website. It may take a little bit to find it. The exposure history that you can take to the to your doctor. So I tried to put those all, all together because the, all those alone, it's just like with Forrest Gump movie. When, you know, life is just like a box of chocolates. You never know yep. what you're going to get. Well, all these parts and processes, and thank you for bringing that up, Mike. <laughs> you, you've always been an inspiration for me and this, this fundamental stuff. All these standalone are just chocolates without a box. What we need to do somehow, I have a proposal, but it's not cast in stone. It's not oh, the only one or maybe the best one. But what we desperately need in order to include people into the health and well-being of buildings, acceptable indoor environments and those interactions, we need to put those together in a framework and then the glue that holds it together. That's that's the point of uh, my presentation and that was the point of my workshop is a way to do that. Excellent, Carl. Let's go to our roundup, folks. The Roundup, and we want to make sure we uh, mention Tramex Moisture Meters as well, uh, one of our newest sponsors, and also the Environmental Information Association. Welcome on board. Carl, I know in the in the um, show announcement we and in the title, we, we had a uh, 
quick discussion on the IICRC S520. We've, we've got about 10 minutes remaining here. And I'd like to get your thoughts on, on the process, where we're at, and your thoughts on the um, proposed, I guess, revisions. We're not quite done yet, right? Right. They put it out for public review, and the comment period closed uh, just over a month ago, I guess. So the committee is in there reviewing those comments. Um, part of my response to your question, Joe, I refer people to one of your sponsors, and that's Healthy Indoors, the that digital magazine. I've been writing an opinion column there for just over a year, and I wrote two different columns. Uh, I, I think you said you read at least one of them or maybe both of them, both uh, of them Joe, yeah. uh, addressing issues and concerns I have about S520 and mold remediation in general, but also the standards specifically. Um, so the first one was, I hope that the consensus body and the audience has to understand that this is an ANSI accredited standard. So they have to go through very strict, clearly defined ANSI requirements in order to be ANSI accredited. And part of that is uh, uh, broad inclusion, uh, industry consensus. It has to include science, but it doesn't need the scientific proof. It's it's operational. I mentioned that with the definition of health. It wasn't operational. This has to be operational. You have to be able to do it and use it. And it's industry consensus according to the standard of, of care, not just a standard of practice that everybody does it, but this is what um, and I'm 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 going to paraphrase the, the description of standard of care. Uh, it's what uh, uh, reasonably educated, trained, etc. People in the field uh, uh, requirements to, to to perform the function, and it has public review required, where the committee has to put it out for public review, and they have to respond to every single comment that everybody makes. Okay, and work through that process before they can finalize the document, including sometimes going back to the person that made the comment and dealing with if the commenter disagrees and still disagrees. There are ways to handle that. You don't have to satisfy everybody, but there are ways to handle the disagreements and it's all transparent. They have to document in writing all of this and uh, ANSI can come in and audit your process and audit your documents, which they not only can do, but have done in the past with IICRC, way back with the S520, for example. So that's the process for the S520. My first article was my concern that the chemical industry, the ones that say use chemicals to treat mold instead of removing it, would dominate because there's a lot of powerful forces out there now, big money, okay, with very effective marketing, saying, you don't need to physically remove. We'll come in and we'll spray this, we'll gas this, we'll do whatever, and that's all that you need to do. And it actually works sometimes, but there's other times it doesn't. So that brings back in our box of chocolates again, 
If it doesn't, how do you, what tools do you have to uh, look at that and evaluate that? And my hope was that the consensus body and the board at IICRC would resist that because if they're going to define um, S520 as physical removal of mold growth, okay, and they got condition one, two, and three, then the chemical industry has to justify that they can meet that requirement without physical removal. They're going to need more than industry consensus. They're going to need some science behind it. And I've seen documents from some, not all, that I have my doubts. The second one then had to do with uh, when I, 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 I commented on S520. I read the document and I commented on it. And I was very disappointed in the quality that they offered for the public review. I'm not criticizing it and saying don't use S520 especially the current version. I'm not saying it's not a good document. What I'm saying is that I was disappointed in that when they went in the definition section, sometimes they had three pages of description. That's not a definition. A definition is a definition, and then the rest of the document should be, here's how I use this, step one, step two, step three. It's a procedural document. Now, there's a lot of education that goes with it that's required. And they used to have reference guide and standard for professional mold remediation. They've separated the two. So now the standard, it looks too bare, too stark. There's too many questions. Well, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by removal? What do you? What exactly is co uh, condition two? So they try to put all that in for educational information into it. And myself and some others that I've talked to, well, I don't know if we'll the majority or not, have said they need to go back and make this a standard and then go back, whether it's integrated or a separate reference guide, because they need the training manual, they need the education, they need the clarification, but the standard should be bing, bing, bing. Step one, step two, step three. Flip, let me let you jump in here. All right, well, I, I, I think, first of all, I, I think that there is some change going on, I think, at, at, at IICRC in terms of, of the standards. Because, I mean, I can tell you that uh, I, I was working on a different standard, which was the fire standard, the S700. And I'm not sure, but when we were writing it, like they would keep telling us, this is not standard language. This is not standard language. And to them, you know, stop, standard language is that you must do this, you must do that. In general, we know there are two approaches to standards. You know, one is procedural. And then, you know, the other one is how things are, are going to turn out. And personally, I think that that's, you know, I'm not big on procedural standards. I really don't like them because... You can't put every job that these guys encounter into the same, you know, how do you do it? I, I, think there, I think there are too many variables. And I think like the box of chocolates, there are all these tools. And I think all those tools someplace or another are going to be appropriate, but none of them are appropriate, uh, you know, in, in every uh, situation. So the bottom line is we went ahead and we did it. We put all these musts in there. And then at the standard summit, um, 
you know, we were encouraged uh, to remove some of them. Okay, actually to remove them. And there were a lot that we put in there that we didn't want to put in there, but they kept saying, you know, it's, it's not standard language. And when we were writing the standard, what they told us is it's not an educational document. People go to classes for that. And one of the challenges, whether you have a separate, I think one of the, the, the challenges with having one document, which both has the standard and has the reference guide in it, is you know, particularly in court, you know, the standard would say one thing and a pretty slick attorney you know, could, you know, show the, the the document to the jury. And here it says right here, you know, you know they get their point because it's not always totally consistent with what's in, you know, what's in the standard and, you know, what would be in the, uh, um, you know, what would be in the reference guide. And in the reference guide, uh, that's where I believe the chemical manufacturers have the ability, you know, to have more more say and, and, and so on and so forth. Because when certain things may not uh, achieve consensus uh, by the consensus board, a lot of times the compromise is to throw that stuff into uh, into the reference guide or into an addendum or or whatever. So um, again, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, what they're going to do or how they're going to do it. But, and, and I can tell you personally that um, at the same time, the S 700 was written, the S 760 wildfire was stand, you know, was being written. And I personally sent in probably a hundred comments uh, on that particular uh, document. So again, I'm waiting, for, but they, the, most of those comments centered around, uh, you know, one particular subject and in my case, it was uh, IEPs. Now, I was on the S590, which is kind of the integration of those two standards, plus S500 for water damage, S520 right. for mold, in the context of assessing HVAC systems. Right. Okay. And uh, uh, the comments that we received on ours, a lot of it had to do with a lot of subtle word usage. And um, what is, um, I'll just leave it at that. What do you mean when you say anything and uh, coming at it from one point of view, like with a fire, it may be different than with water and different than with mold. So our challenge was to integrate that so that it had meaning for all those uh, situations, plus was consistent with the standards that, were already written like the ones that you were involved with. Well, I think that you, I think a big part of it is you guys had to get NADCA kind of to agree with it. So I think a lot of what, a lot of what was in your document, Mm -hmm. uh, some of that stuff started at NADCA. And I think it was good that Tommy was very, very familiar with that document. And then there was another document out there that RIA wrote with, what was it? IESO. It was IESO. Yeah, yeah with, with IESO, which was yeah. specifically, I believe, for assessing, uh, I think, uh, carbon or soot in HVAC systems. But no, no, I saw it. It was very good. And uh, S- actually, if I'm not mistaken, what happened was the document that was going, Tommy's chapter in S700. 
after it was done and agreed upon by our consensus board, ended up being the basis, I believe, to be taken to all of the other, uh, you know, all of the other IIC, RC, you know, standards that would have anything to do with it. So I'm very familiar with it. You know, we think it's excellent. And, you know, it has that has a lot of information in it. And I would think it has more uh, procedural information, actually, than than we offered elsewhere. But I think there aren't as many ways to clean duct work as as there are to clean other types of materials. You know, you have more options. Yes. Well, there's a way to assess it. Then there's a way to clean it. And then there's a way to verify it. Right. And that gets back to part of my five tools. And by the way, I in the chat, I put in the chat uh, those five tools. Good. And I put in the, the link for tiltresearch.org and uh, my email so that people can add, if they have any questions, want to address directly to me. And please join us, Carl, and everyone else that wants to continue the discussion on uh, afterthoughts afterwards, because I think we probably had more interaction today than we've had in a long time. That, that's good. It's a, that either shows a lot of interest or a lot of disagreement. We'll find out. <laughs> I think I think a lot of interest. A lot of interest. Let's, um, Carl. Before we go, we always like to give you the final word. What's your final thoughts from today? And I just figured out. Uh, John told me you were here last in 2019, so it hasn't, hasn't been as long as I thought. No, it hasn't been. And we got the pandemic in there too, and that you know that's lost time. That doesn't count anymore. So I was here really recently. Yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> so final thoughts. Uh, with the response that I got at IAQA at the workshop and also the presentation, I've given similar type presentations in the past, and there's you know 15, 20, 30 people or something. And there's interest. But the, the room was set up for like 50 people, standing room only, and I was asked to present again because there were people that wanted to get in and they couldn't. And it was like, wow, I'm getting really good response. People are now more interested. I see kind of a wave developing in lots of different areas. So people are much more interested in, in health now and so we need some sort of way to talk about it. And so the interactions that affect acceptability or comfort indoors, and there's a whole history of comfort that my SGPC 10 committee is working on now to include in the document, along with moisture. Uh, I have, with that approach that I took at IAQA, because I had to develop, develop that, you know, months before I presented it. I'm now presenting versions of that to the International Society of Indoor Environmental, I'm not sorry, Inter International Society of Environmental Epidemiology, which we spend 90% of our time indoors. So you'd think that that's where the exposure would be. That's the epidemiology, but no. Four years ago was the first time they had a track that included the indoor environment. And that's because I submitted two abstracts. There were 22 of them presentations. I had two and I'm the only one that even used the word indoor. Wow. Okay. okay. 
but now I'm doing it at the, they have a new uh, North American chapter that I'm presenting on that in June. I'm also presenting the to NEHA, the National Environmental Health Association in New Orleans in August. So, uh, and we've got the, the committees at, at ASHRAE, particularly working on the position document. So there's more and more interest and concern, not just because of the pandemic, making it real life. And it's more than just a monitor that re reads temperature, humidity and particles and whatever. There's, there's people, people. Kevin Kennedy, a mutual friend, you know, when we were working with the National Center for Healthy Housing, when we were doing education, and Kevin is the one that started presented this way, it starts with people and it ends with people. But people has been excluded for good reason. Nobody knew how to deal with it. Just like, no, there's no definition for health because we don't know how to deal with people. Now there's some beginning tools out there, some of which I presented, and Mike McGinnis brought up an, another evaluation tool. But the, we need to, if I asked this question at the IAQA at one of the presentations about the future, and I said, if we don't do it, who will? Now, I'll, I'll challenge that to everybody else. I see some of the people that are listening to this. If we collectively don't do this, who will? And there's a need for it. So we need to get it. I would hope to have it more organized, more coherent, rather than going out like we're doing now with mold issues, where it's not just the wild, wild west. It's everybody has an opinion and everybody does it their own way. I I can offer you five opinions myself. Okay. So <laughs> what are we, what good is that? We need, as an industry and a profession, we need to move forward somehow with that. And that's what I would like to leave people with, whether it's me or not. That's not important. Somebody somewhere needs to really get this organized and move forward with it because it's becoming ex demanded and accept, uh, uh, expected by particularly the public. And even the medical community, you've been working with a lot more, Carl. Yes. Yeah, There's. this is a topic for another show, but there are, I, I did a, a cameo presentation at, uh, at, at uh, summer camp years ago, it must be seven, eight years ago now, which I said, here's all these organizations that are dealing with health, and a lot of them were medical, and my question there was, the challenge was, what do you do as building scientists when you say the building is designed and built and made functioning and maintained according to specifications and everything is good, but you've got a medical doctor saying my my patient is sick because of your building. Well, that what didn't go over too well, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, and it's not just that, that is part of what we need to anticipate. But there now there are a group of doctors out there that are doing exactly that. They're saying that there's different methods. It's not just one particular, like Richie Shoemaker, who's tried to organize it for his 
from a medical point of view, it's been uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied, and everything else. But there are now doctors that are saying, you have to get rid of the mold at work or at the home before I can continue treatment. And while there may be a valid reason for that, it's not well-developed because I've been in those houses with some of the, the doctors that I know personally and have worked with, and the metrics for it say this person is, has mold exposure, but there's absolutely no way that there can be mold exposure in that in that house or that office or that building. So, but they are becoming adamant. So what I said seven, eight years ago at summer camp is taking a twist that I didn't anticipate. I was hoping people would say, yeah, we got to work with it. And I, and I actually, I, I, mid thought, I would say, yeah, maybe that's, that's one of the challenges that we have. Uh, Claudia Miller's group has that seven questions of exposure history you can take to your doctor, but the doctors don't know what to do with it. So there needs to be an effort somewhere in the medical direction too. So thank you for asking that question. I got my wheels to turning again. All right. Well, this is Radio Joe saying thanks to Carl Grimes. Always great to have you, Carl. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. John, you got to have faith that the controls our wonderful sponsors and our loyal audience. We'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening. 